This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Kinsey, and Kinsey was in a psychologically abusive relationship with a serial cheater. It's a story of victim playing, financial abuse, loss of individuality, and complex PTSD. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of domestic violence. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad. And thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. Now, if you haven't been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show and go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, fill out the guest form. There's a button at the top that says guest form, fill that out and we will go from there. And also at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have a community support button at the top of the page for our very own safe social network. Our community members are on our forums posting. We have integrated Zoom support meetings every Wednesdays and Saturdays. We have prompt books for episodes to help you dig deeper, to gain more clarity for your relationships in life. You can create and run your own events from meditations to closer ceremonies. Our community members are all amazing and they're there to support you when you need it, to cheer you on when you need it. So please do come to our support group. Join our community today at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Oh, also on there, we do have uh, episodes that never made it to air, and we also have ad-free episodes as well. So come listen to those too. Where? At NarcissistApocalypse.com. Now, if you do need more support, you can go to DomesticShelters.org. If you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing, connect you to local resources like shelters, and find ways to help you heal and move forward. Please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource. Now, 
people have been asking me, what is the best way to support this show? And in reality, the best way to support us is by spreading the word about the show. And I know that's a really difficult bit based on our subject matter. So things that you can do for us are things like emailing your local shelter or agency and telling them how our show helped you as a survivor. Or you can uh, email your local news publications about us. Or you can even put a poster up at your local yoga or uh, exercise studio, and you can download one of those on our website. I'll leave the link in our show notes. So a big thanks in advance for everyone uh, that wants to do that for us. You know, the more people that listen to the show, the better. So a big shout out to everyone and a big thank you, but also a big thank you to Apple Podcasts. If it wasn't for Apple and creating this medium, we wouldn't be able to do any of this. So a big thanks to them as well. And now before we get to our show this week, I just want to say this is a really interesting episode. It's kind of two stories within this story. You know, there was a story before uh, Kinsey gets married, and then there's a story after Kinsey gets married. And it is uh, night and day. And and not not to say that things weren't wrong before they got married, but it's a really uh, interesting story. It's a heartbreaking story. And you're going to be able to learn a lot from from Kinsey's story. She actually does an amazing job of pointing out a lot of information uh, types. You know, she's really calling out a lot here, uh, the verbally the phrases that are used uh, against her. And you really, I, uh, it's just one. Of, it's just a heartbreaking story. So a really a big thanks to Kinsey for just letting it all hang out there for everyone to see warts and all is she's going to help a lot of people and a big 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 thank you to her and we're sending you big hugs and now without further ado here is my episode with kinsey welcome to narcissist apocalypse everyone with me today i have kinsey how are you i'm doing well thank you for asking how are you I'm doing well, and today we are going to hear the story of your toxic relationship, your abusive relationship, and I know you're going to help a lot of people today, so thank you very much for being here, especially on short notice, and you're helping all of us out here today, so thank you, and now, without further ado, Kinsey, the floor is now yours. Thank you. So I guess I will start out by um, telling you a little bit about how I was before this relationship. Um, I was very well put together, I would say. I worked really hard to get to a place um, that I was. Uh, I owned a business uh, for eight years at the time of meeting him. Um, I homeschooled my child. I was very church involved. I was a a Sunday school teacher. Um, I ran a social ministries group. Uh, Very financially uh, responsible. I had worked really hard to be debt-free at that point. Um, I was a fun person. We traveled a lot, did a lot of things. I took care of a lot of people, Um, emotionally as well as some financial just, I was really a mom type. And I think I was always really a mom type from the very beginning. When we were teenagers, you know, I was always the one that stayed home and watched everybody's kids. And if somebody ran into an issue, I was always the person that got called to come and, 
you know, fix the problem. So, um, so, so you grew up in a family, how many siblings did you have? So I have one half brother. My mother remarried when I was young. Uh, my stepfather was in the military and we moved away from uh, where I was born. And um, my brother came in to play. I was about eight when he was born. Um, my parents on that side actually ended up divorcing uh, and it was not a, it wasn't a good divorce. Uh, there was a lot of issues going on with that divorce. And my mother at the time had a very hard time with that. And so she had some alcohol issues, um, some anxiety med issues. And so I really kind of at a young age started taking care of my brother uh, and also her. So, so, so there was, so there was parentification going on where all of a sudden you are the responsible child. You're growing up a little bit quicker. You are the fixer of the family and, uh, so I guess somewhat here, people pleasing, fixing and people pleasing is not the same thing, but it goes hand in hand sometimes where those things are now put on you as a child and instilled in you. Correct. And do you have, sorry, and did you come from a religious background or did you become religious after? And if so, did you, what were your religious beliefs around relationships? So religion background, yes and no. When I was a little girl, you know, maybe around the three to five age, my great grandmother, uh, she was the religious person in the family. She made sure that I went to church most Sundays. She uh, had me in Sunday school. She had all of those things sort of laid out for me. And then when we moved away, when my mother remarried, uh, we stepped away from that. It wasn't really a huge thing. So I would say my religious um, time during my teenage years, it wasn't there at all. It was not until I got pregnant with my daughter. And when it got close to the end of that pregnancy, she was a life changer for me. She changed everything. And I called her my angel baby. And... Um, I knew that I wanted to raise her in that setting. And so I just had a really good talk with her father. And I said, we're going to, we're going to do this in church and we're going to raise this child to be this way. And so I think that was when the decision was made. And so she's 16 now. So it was about 16 years ago that I started getting super involved with church again. So we'll, we'll back up the truck here back to when you were uh, younger and the, I guess the things that you kind of had to deal with, but for the most part, you were this responsible kid, took care of others, and was not just known as being responsible within your family, but within the community. Absolutely. Yes. I would say to this day, I'm still a people pleaser. I'm still a nurturer. Um, in my teenage years, I never was a partier. I was never in trouble. I never had detention once. I was a rule follower uh, all the time. I never cheated lied. Um, I was just a pretty stick to the rules kind of kid. Uh, had always been pretty fearful of breaking a rule or a law. It was just sort of that way in me. And, um, I, I've just always kind of been that way. 
And as far as other things that might have gone on uh, when you were younger, were you a perfectionist of any sort? And if you did, um, if you didn't live up to something, did someone else get mad at you or did you internally get mad at yourself at all? Did you have a high standard for yourself? So I would say absolutely. Uh, I learned at a really young age, sort of going through all of these things with my mother. Uh, I was constantly trying to get on her good side. I was constantly trying. And I would say with my father as well, you know, when I lived with him, I would, I would always be looking to be a good girl. You know, I, I always wanted to just have my parents say, my, my child is a good child. Uh, with my mother, you know, she went through some times of being wish-washy. And it was hard on me, very hard on me. And I'd say during those times, I was constantly changing and adapting to the situation, Um, which I think is an important thing to point out (laughs) that I truly believe people can change because I knew I could do it. Um, And I had to do it. And so that kind of got instilled in me, I think, that people change which will be important to know later on. <laughs> and as far as the beliefs of failure, was is failure, the belief of failure or being a failure something that you have a hard time dealing with at all or no? I don't know that it's a hard time dealing with it. I'm pretty hard on myself. I'm a lot better now, actually, having gone through the situation I just went through for the past five years. I did a lot of work and um, a lot of healing in that. But I'd say prior to meeting him, uh, I was definitely always trying not to fail. Uh, Just holding myself to very, very high expectations, not not hopes, you know, not goals, but expectations, and definitely putting that line in the sand. And it's just not obtainable. It's not. It's very unhealthy, and it's just not a good way to go. So childhood is so childhood is over and you're 18 years old. What happens in your life after that? Uh when I was 18 I moved away so I came back. I moved back and forth. I went to four different high schools. I moved back and forth between my mother and father through high school. Um I would come back when my mother needed me when something was going wrong with her. You know, she would kind of go down down a a not good path. And so then I would come back and take care of the situation and then it would get too much. And, and I would go back to my dad. Uh, so I kind of bounced around a lot after I was 18, I moved away. I moved back home where my father lives. I got my own apartment and, uh, worked all the time. I was pretty, um, you know, just bent on making it on my own and making success for myself and trying to give myself a really good, healthy environment. And I did that for a little while until my mother went through a custody case with my brother and she asked me to come back. And I have been, um, back in this state ever since. So eventually you get married, sorry, or or you're in a relationship. I don't know if you got married with the father of your child and eventually you guys get divorced or, or you guys separate, correct? Correct. But I think I want to point out, and I and this is going to be really important, I think, for people to hear. 
I, I've actually been married three times. Okay. My first marriage was not my daughter's father. It was, um, so my daughter's father and I were kind of like high school sweethearts. We grew up down the street from each other. We knew each other. He didn't want to get married. And so I did one of these like really young, immature things. Like I'm going to marry somebody else. And that guy was kind of a jerk and he did not treat me nicely. And he cheated on me a lot and I divorced him. I didn't put up with it. I didn't tolerate it. I didn't want anything to do with it. I immediately said, we are done with this. Um, and I feel like that's important because when you hear the story of what's happened recently, I think there's many points where people would be like, what, why would you, you know, put up with this? So I was not always in a position to put up with something like that. Um, so then, yes, I married my daughter's father. We had a, a good marriage. We did. We ran a business together. It took a toll on us. And after 10 years, it just became, we were better friends than being married. The separation was, um, so we obviously had a daughter and we stayed in the house together in separate rooms, separate bathrooms for, for the year that we needed to stay separated. And that is also important information because I, <laughs> I found that to be acceptable. Um, and I thought it was maybe not normal, but it was healthy. It was healthy for our child. When we found him a place to live, I went along with him. We did it together. It was uh, a very good divorce if there is such a thing. And we just really had the mentality of this doesn't need to be ugly. We have a child and that is the most important thing. And we're going to show a united front for our child and provide just a really good relationship. And, and, and to this day, we're very, very good friends. So you guys are, um, I don't know if you're in the process of divorce or you guys are divorced already, but your story with the person that this story is about begins in, in a moment where you two are together. So what happened there? Okay. So we make the decision to separate and in doing that, um, we had saved a lot of money and, decided to remodel our home. And we went to our financial advisor and we were talking to him about it. And we kind of didn't know what was going to happen with, with the divorce, whether I was going to stay in the house or whether he was going to stay, but one of us was going to stay. And so we were kind of making the decision to go ahead, use that money, let's remodel the house, and then maybe we'll sell it. You know, maybe that's the decision. Maybe we sell it. Uh, so we went to our financial advisor and he hands across this card, this business card and says, I know the perfect person. He did a fantastic job. He just built uh, an in-law suite for me and it turned out really nice. He showed us pictures. Um, I have known my financial advisor for a very long time. And so I took the card and was like, this is great. This is fantastic. And it was him. It was my ex. And, um, so we move forward with it we give him a call and he shows up to the house and, uh, brings in his folder and, and starts going through the whole spiel of the remodel. 
when I first met him, I thought he was the most arrogant person that I had ever met. Uh, very full of himself, very, uh, I, I don't want to use the word confident because I feel like that's a positive. And it was more than that. He could do nothing wrong. That's very much how he seemed. Um, but friendly, very friendly, very outgoing. He had a good sense of humor. He uh, was, you know, personable. He was able to talk to us and, and walk us through everything. And so he left and um, I looked at my daughter's father and I said, you know, you deal with this. I, you know, if you can communicate back and forth with this guy, that would be what's best for me. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with any of it. And so I did not even um, have his cell phone number for the first couple of weeks. After the first couple of weeks, my daughter's father kind of was getting frustrated with the situation. I said, okay, all right, you know, hand it off and I'll, I'll take care of it. And so what was frustrating to him? Um, so he would not show up and, when he was supposed to, his crew would be there, but he sort of never showed face. Things weren't getting done the way he said they were going to. Um, it seemed like we were getting, you know, a, a bare crew just to say, hey, we sent somebody there. And things weren't really progressing. And uh, he was not great at answering the phone. He was not great at getting back to us. You know, he'd make promises. Oh, I'll be there in the morning. I'll be there in the morning. Nope. Never, never showed up. And so that was frustrating. (laughs) Uh, And so I took over and, you know, reached out to him and I said, Hey, you know, I just, I really want a meeting to get together a solid plan to move forward, you know? And so he came and we met and, Sweet talked the entire thing. I mean, he was a very good talker, very good. And he really had you believing at the end of the conversation, like he gave you everything you wanted and it was all your idea and it was great, you know? And then after you had time to think about it, it was like, what just happened to me? <laughs> um, so anyway, I am communicating with him now and he starts to um, show up to the house more, I would say. And so, you know, months go by and he's coming by to the house and I've had multiple interactions with him at this point. I wouldn't say that I, I liked or disliked him at that point, you know? Um, But then we started talking more and I would say we started to build a friendship. It was, uh, it was cordial And he started asking for help with um, guys from my crew. I owned a business at the time. And so I would send him a couple of my guys if I had a slow time. He would send me a couple of his. And we started trading labor, you know. And and so then, of course, we had to meet a little bit more because we needed to talk business details. And um, pretty soon, he joins our bowling team. And so he bowls with my daughter's father, myself, it was him, and we had a friend. And, um, you know, everybody got along, and he he was fun to be around, you know, outside of a work setting. Um, I have one question before we continue. What was your bowling team name? Um, ooh, 
I don't remember that year. I think it was gutter balls. Gutter balls. Was and did you have personalized shirts? <laughs> we did not. Oh, we did not. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting. I was, I'm always curious. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're great. Um, so this, this goes on and on and bowling season ends and my daughter's father and I go ahead and, and get our divorce. Right. And so we move him into his new house. And so now it's myself and my daughter left and, um, my ex who wasn't my ex this time, but my ex, um, he's, he's reaching out to me a lot more and he's starting to, um, get very personal with me. So one day he stopped by the house. This was at the very end of renovations. And we were talking in the backyard about the floor. I had asked for a specific way the floor be laid. And we were talking out back and um, he asked for a beer. And I said, well, sure, you know? And so we start just talking and, and, and in hindsight, looking back, this was my interview process with him. But I didn't see that at the time. And he randomly, um, have you ever had an affair? And I'm like, no, you know, not, not with, while I've been married. And, and so then he doesn't, he doesn't like offer an answer back to that, of course, you know, and he starts asking, uh, what would your, what would your dream house be? And, um, you know, I'm giving him some details. Like I told him about the Sunday school teacher thing. Um, he just really kind of starts digging in. And he, so he asks about my child and um, I then said to him, I'm like, do you have children? And he's like, no. Well, my wife has a child. And, um, I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, but, but she's definitely not mine. I, you know, she's my stepdaughter, but I was, I was deployed a lot and I didn't really have a relationship with her. And now I'm just so disappointed in her. She's just become this person that I just don't even like. And, and she and I just don't have a relationship. So I don't consider myself to have a child. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so at the time I am under the understanding that he is married. Okay. And I, I, I kind of knew that part of it, but we're not in a relationship yet. And, um, so anyway, this starts happening fairly often. He'll now call me and, um, you know, just say, let me run by something by you for business purposes, you know, and, oh, this is what, uh, my child did, you know, the child that he doesn't claim. This is what, what she did. And what would you do? you know, as a mom. And so we start just building a better friendship. And so one day we're laying the floor in our house, which we did not contract him to do. We were going to do it ourselves. And uh, I had mentioned it to him and he's like, well, I'll stop by and get you started. Make sure that everything's fine. And so my daughter's father's there. I had a friend there and myself and my daughter and he shows up and, um, He's walking us through it and getting us started. And he's just chit-chatting with everybody, being very, very friendly. And I said, well, do you want a beer? You know, and he's like, sure. So I, I give him a beer. And so we're laying floor and he's just kind of chatting us up. And um, randomly he says, uh, yeah, I might, I might need a place to stay. And I'm like, what? 
Like, I, I thought you were married. And he's like, yeah, well, the wife and I, we've been separated in our house, you know, for a real long time. And we're basically roommates. And I'm like, oh. He's like, you know, kind of like like you and, and your ex-husband. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense. And I'm like, well, I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, what what's happened? And he's like, oh, she's just sick of my crap. You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, and I'm kind of over it myself. And he's like, uh, you know, so I might need a room. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I can rent you out the garage, you know, just kind of in a jokingly way if, if that's what you want. And he's like, yeah, I might, I might have to take you up on it. And so then uh, a couple minutes after that, probably, he's like, all right, well, you know, I got to get to another job site, so I'm going to take off. Okay, great. So I have a question. You are very forthcoming with your whole entire life, everything that's kind of going on with you with him. He knows a lot of information about you. And when he's giving you information about him, is he being, it sounds like he's just being very vague about all parts of his life. There's no details kind of going on. And if there is a detail, I'm going to assume that it's just a negative detail. But details in general are few and far between. Was that what was kind of going on? I would agree with that. Okay. Yes. Uh, and I don't think I really caught on to that at the time. I just sort of passed it off. Like I didn't want to pry, you know, I didn't want to be overbearing. Um, he would tell me things, but yes, they were, they were vague details, nothing solid. And, and I, you know, I should have paid better attention, I think, cause I think I would have caught on to the fact that those details kind of changed, I think over time and, and different conversations, um, the one thing he would talk about was his military career. He would talk about that a lot. And I will say the talks about the military career changed very frequently. Um, in other words, there would be a different detail I hadn't heard before, or the story would be slightly different. And he would repeatedly tell me the same stories very often. And so that confused me because I'm thinking – okay, you just don't have a great memory, but then you do because this was a long time ago and you're remembering this stuff. But, and I, I guess I kind of just chalked it up to, he's remembering it differently because it was a long time ago, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> okay. So now we, I think start hanging out more. He, he starts really pursuing me. I would say he, he calls me and he's like, Hey, do you want to, you want to have a drink today? You want to go to lunch today? You know? And I was, I was pretty standoffish about it. Not rude, but I was like, you know, I don't have time. I don't have time. I was taking college classes at the time. I was running a business. I was homeschooling my child. I was now a single mom. You know, there, there was not time for that. And this went on for, <laughs> for a couple of weeks. And finally, the one day, I said, you know what? I said, here's what I have time for. I'm on the way to the grocery store. If you want to hang out with me, you can meet me at the grocery store. And funny enough, he's like, you know what? F it. I'll, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I haven't done that in a long time. I'll do that. Um, and I was like, okay, well, you know, and he's like, I can't, I can't come today, but you know, the next time. And I'm like, all right, next time I go grocery shopping, I'll definitely let you know. That's all I got time for. And so somehow over the next couple of weeks, he, he, gets me to meet him for lunch. And we went to Chick-fil-A. Like, <laughs> I was like, this is, this is what I got time for. You know, let's get a Chick-fil-A. And um, 
he was like overjoyed to see me when I got there. And he, I remember we sat down at the table. We were waiting for the food. You know, they kind of bring you the food. And, and he looks across the table and he's like, man, you are so beautiful. And I said, I really don't want any of the garbage you're about to feed me. And he got very offended by that. And he's like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I'm like, listen, I don't want to hear I'm beautiful or, or, you know, you're so great and you're so great. Like, let's just leave it out. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty straightforward kind of chick. Let's just bypass all of that stuff, you know? And so he's like, oh, okay. You can't take a compliment. And I'm like, all right, if that's how you want to see it, cool. And that was it. And we had a good lunch and we left and he gave me a hug and I walked away. And this sort of continues more and more. We start meeting uh, for dinner and that kind of thing. And so this goes on for a couple of months. Now, during this time, he was very available. He went out of town a lot on man trips, he called them, where it was just him and his, his man friends. And he would FaceTime me and he would talk to me and show them my picture. Um, he would text me all the time. It was um, very, it made me feel good. You know, he, he, he definitely reached out to me all the time. He didn't leave me hanging. And um, it made me feel good that, you know, he was showing me to his friends and, and that kind of thing. And I thought, you know, all right, we could go somewhere with this. And um, so his persistence here even though you were not really into what was going on at the beginning, his persistence in putting his foot in the door and not having it closed really pays off down the road here where you're like, maybe he's not that bad. He, right. It seems like he really, he likes me. And that <laughs> took, that took a while for that to happen. But the persistence of him is what made it happen and, or, or got to that point. And now the door is open for, uh, more, I guess, hooks to be put into you. So I guess what would those be, uh, as a, as time moves on? Okay. Well, before we get to that part of it, okay. something really negative happens actually. Okay. <laughs> um, so we're not even dating yet. And, uh, he, so he traveled a lot. I already knew that. And so it wasn't weird for him to be traveling a lot. And so he had this really weird conversation with me, this very heartfelt, like emotional conversation about how much he liked me and how much he cared for me. And, um, just very, like, I think this is more, you know, I think this is more. And he's like, you know, I got to go on, I got to go on this trip. I'm going to be out of town for five days, you know, and I'm really, I'm really just going to miss seeing you and, and miss knowing that, you know, you're close by. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, well, I like you too. That's, that's really sweet. And you have a really good, safe trip. And so this is the first ghosting period that I get from him. And this is before we were dating. And so he takes off on this trip. I do not hear from him again for two weeks. I think he's dead. Like I was genuinely 
<laughs> searching the news, looking for a plane crash. Um, just anything. Try, like it just baffled me that he would drop off the face of the earth and not say anything at all to me. Not to mention the fact that he had blocked me, which I took as his phone was off, but that wasn't the case. Um, so I couldn't get through to him at all. And, um, it really, really, um, tore me up. And I think I was shocked by that. I was sad. Like I was, uh, hurt and, and just not in a really great place with it. I cried a little bit about it and I was, it was just very hurtful to me, I think. Um, and so that was my first experience that should have been like, hello, this is, this is not a good experience, but I didn't see it that way. He resurfaced after two weeks and he gave me this uh, long spiel about how he had been visiting his family uh, he didn't have cell phone service and then a snowstorm came through and he missed his flight. So he had to try to rebook and then that flight didn't work. And then he ended up renting a car and having to drive back. And it was just a really long drive. And, you know, so many things that got in the way of him being able to reach out. And um, so it was a story lined with all this tragedy for him, right? All these terrible things had happened. And so I ended up like forgetting that I was super upset about it. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. You know, that's, <laughs> that sounds terrible. I'm so sorry for that. And, um, and so I think that was it. I, I was hooked. He, it was, it was very purposeful knowing what I know now, you know, it was the beginning of the training process, I think. And yeah, yeah, so here's a situation where he did this pull away. And in response to the pull away, you, your internal workings then went into the anxious attachment mode. You were scared. You wanted to know what was going on and you were tugging at straws to find out what was going or tugging at strings to, to find out what's going on here, what's going on. Cause now you're on a rope. Or you're you're now you're now being puppeted in in some way, and he's done it on purpose, or most likely done it on purpose. And when he comes back, he gives you this spiel, and that spiel makes you feel like he's maybe been a victim of sorts. It, it kind of you feel bad for him. Everything is now you've forgotten that he could have still you know gotten back at one point during all of this and now everything is good he's tested a boundary that you passed his boundary test as letting this kind of continue and now he's a little bit i guess in a driver's seat in his mind you don't know that yet right right And so it goes downhill from here. I mean, (laughs) so you guys, you're hooked at this point. Uh, You um, find him to be charming. You find him to be, uh, at least before this, like really attentive to you. And that uh, he's a competent person. Uh, Would would that be fair? You know, for the the most part, even though, especially in your dealing with him, uh, after him being told you were, he was incompetent, that he then showed his competency. Uh, and 
besides that, you do you feel for him that he's been divorced? So he's not divorced yet. Okay, right? but, but he's going through that process, and mm-hmm. and you are a caretaker and you are a fixer, and that right. feeds directly into your wheelhouse, right? Of boundary and, issues. Yeah. So it was it was like the perfect you know, set up situation. It really, truly was. Uh, For everyone who's listening, for the most part, every abuser has a perfect match. Not every person they try to do this to will work, but sometimes there's a perfect match. And for you and him, this is a perfect match. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) so he, when he comes back, we definitely go through a love bombing stage. Um, he is like sending me flowers. He is so apologetic to me. And, and the funny thing, okay, when I say apologetic, I I really want to be clear about this. I have never heard him say, I am sorry to you in a sincere way. Not ever. Um, his apologies are, I'm sorry you felt that way. I'm sorry you think I did that to you. Um, and if he says just, I'm sorry, it's hostile and very aggressive. Not, not anything in a, in a healthy way. Um, so he's very apologetic in his own way. And he's just, you know, I'm really sorry. I didn't, you know, if I screwed this up at all, let me make up for it. And let me just, just be here for you and and do all these things. And so he talks to me seriously about wanting to have a relationship. And he says at this point, he says, I am going to live in one of my flip houses. I'm going to move out. Um, we're just not ready for the divorce piece yet. You know, there's a lot of financials that go on with it. He had owned a business with her as well as his own business. And so he wasn't ready for that yet. And I, I was okay with that. I understood, you know, but I was definitely under the impression that they both understood they were, they were going to get divorced. And so he wants to sort of formally date me at this point. And this is a big deal for me because I am, I'm just not looking to date. I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm not you know, and so I'm kind of like, okay, all right, let's give it a shot. You know, this, this has to be a sign. This has to be like, you came into my life for a reason. Okay, we'll do it. And so we have a talk with my daughter and she's on board with it. And, um, I was very clear with her. I said, you can be as involved or as not involved as you want, you know, and if something makes you uncomfortable, do you just talk to me about it? And we'll, we'll work this out. This is new territory for all of us. And so he takes me on a trip to uh snowshoe we went skiing well i we didn't go skiing but he takes me on this trip and and this is sort of our like let me make up for this trip and so this is his his own place that he owns and um we had a great weekend up there uh we had not been physical prior to this um i want to be very clear about that there was not any of that going on um which is odd right now that i know what i know why did he stick it out so long with me not being physical um so we went to snowshoe we had a really good weekend we came back uh everything's great everything's great for a couple of weeks um all of a sudden one weekend he disappears for an entire weekend, drops off the face of the earth. I talked to him, I think, Friday morning, first thing. Next thing you know, I'm not hearing from him all weekend. And I'm like panicking. I don't know what is going on. I, you know, where are you? 
And so, of course, Monday morning rolls around and I, I get a phone call and I'm like, what happened to you? Oh, my gosh. I was in the hospital. I got a flu shot and I had a really bad allergic reaction. I was in the hospital all weekend. Um, so <laughs> it, it was multiple things like that. Um, now, next thing you know, and this is very early on in our relationship again, next thing you know, he says, I have got to go to Texas to take care of my grandmother. Uh, she's very ill and my mother lives down there with her and I, ju I just need to be there. And I'm like, oh, I, I totally understand. He sends me a picture of himself at the airport. He sends me an itinerary for his flight. Um, just pouring out information to me. He gets to quote unquote Texas and he calls me while he's there. And he's like, you know, it's just so sad down here. I, um, I've had to bathe my grandmother today. She's very ill. I'm very concerned. And I said, let me, let me come down there to you. You know, I can help you. Let me, let me come help you. And he's like, oh, oh, no, no, that's way too much. That's asking so much. And, you know, you have to work and you're in school and you, you have your child. And no, I really appreciate the offer. That is so sweet of you. You know, you are just the kindest person. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, just think about it. And please reach out to me. I, I, I will definitely come down there even just to support you. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. And so this goes on for two or three days. He's calling me and he's um, giving me these updates, these play-by-plays. This is what we ate today. This is what we did today. Very detailed. And so um, I think it was a Friday evening. I was uh, getting dressed. It was pretty late. It was like 830 at night. My child comes downstairs and she said, hey, mom, I, I see him. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And so she had Snapchat, right? And so I'm not, I'm not really super technologically savvy with these things at this point. And I had Snapchat on my phone to watch over her Snapchat. And uh, she's like, look, look, I see him on Snapchat maps. So there's this thing, Snapchat maps, right? And it tracks where you are. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And so I look at it and, and then I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, what? what is going on? So it shows him in snowshoe, West Virginia. And so she goes back upstairs and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about this and I'm like, huh? So I called my brother's girlfriend at the time. And I said, Hey, I got a weird question for you. You use Snapchat a lot. Right. And she's like, yeah. I said, how, how accurate is Snapchat maps? And she's like, Oh, sometimes it's not accurate. You know, sometimes it's, it's off. And I'm like, Mm, off like seven or eight states or like off by a couple of miles. And she's like, oh, no, no, not seven or eight states. Like, you know, off by a couple of miles. It might it might show somebody down the road. And I'm like, okay, but if if somebody is in a completely different state like that, that wouldn't happen, right? And she's like, no, if somebody's in a completely different state, they're in that state somewhere. So I call him and uh, he answers the phone and I said, are you in Texas? And he's like, yeah, I'm in Texas. I just talked to you earlier. And I'm like, you're in Texas right now, sitting right now in Texas. And he's like, yeah. And I said, why does it seem like you might be in snowshoe? And he hangs up the phone on me. And I got the block. 
and I did not hear from him for five days. And, um, (laughs) I was so confused and just had no idea. This is not something I could even wrap my brain around. And, um, five days passes, he comes back and he is crying, crying. And I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. I'm a terrible person. And I am like, where are you right now? Let me come to you. Where are you? And um, so he says, I'm, I'm at the flip house. I, you know, this is where I'm staying. I just, I'm just and sobbing. And so he hangs up the phone and then he won't answer my phone calls. And so I drive over there. I know where this place is and I drive over there and I walk in the house and he's just, you know, all puffy eyed is his face is red and he's, he's just distraught. And so, okay, here, here, this is great. You know, I'm like, I forget all about what has just happened. And I am so concerned about this man falling apart in front of me. And so I'm like, whatever this is, we can get through it. Whatever this is, we can get, just talk to me, tell me what's going on. And he's like, I just had to get away. I just had to get away and I just couldn't do it. And I just didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to think less of me. And I just had to get away. And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, in the future, let's, let's don't do it this way, you know, but okay, we'll get through it. The whole good. And again, pass the test. So here is a situation which happens a lot where the other person immediately goes into the mode of saying out loud, I'm a bad person and then starts to cry and the caretaking part of you and the people pleasing part of you, all of those little parts of you are all of a sudden focused on that person's well being. And that is the point of this little exercise that they do is to take the focus off of the problem, which was about to be a big problem if they went at it head on, but they chose to, and they do it on purpose to make it into their realm of their feelings because that's all they're concerned about and to make it about them. And all of a sudden you've forgotten everything here because they're breaking down because they lied, which is the reality of it. They lied and got caught and they're having a breakdown of them being caught. And that's as easy as it is sometimes. Yes. (laughs) Because, you know, when you have, when you have these like people pleasing or fixing kind of things, even if you don't, then you're just kind of sucked into that world. And once the focus is on them, the focus is on them. And that's what he did. And it worked. Yes. Yeah. And and to be clear, (laughs) I should have been focused on the fact that he made an itinerary and sent it to me. It was a legit, I looked it up. The flight was real. He just wasn't on it. Uh, you know, sent me some old, like, this was definitely a pre-planned, um, just very well thought out process. Well, it it seems though, like he, 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 he thinks out, I'm I'm guessing maybe as the time goes on, he thinks out the beginning part really well, but he'll always get caught. He's good with the first part, but then something happens. Is that going to be fair to say as it goes on? 
me. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yes. So, so he's, he's just out of, he's, he's, uh, a fraudster, a love fraudster, but he'll always go to jail. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and so at this point, you know, obviously I've passed this test again. This was also, um, beneficial for him in another way, because now I saw where he was quote unquote living. Okay. And the funny thing about it is I didn't ask to see the rest of the house. I just walked into the front portion of the house where there was just a couch. Um, had I asked to see the rest of the house, I would have seen that there was nothing there for him. He was not in fact, actually living there. Um, I never questioned that. I never questioned the relationship between he and his wife that, that they were separated. I, I just didn't, I didn't, to me, it was okay. And it was normal and I went through it. And so it was fine. Um, this goes on and on just little tiny, um, things like this where something's just not quite right. You know, he would disappear very often and it was always the same process. Um, as soon as he would resurface, something tragic had happened and I have soon forgotten all about, you know, how I felt and am there to help him get through it. And so a couple of things that I want to point, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say for other people listening and people listening who might not be used to this type of uh, abuse or, or behavior that a, a red flag isn't a red flag or, or, you know, patterns need to form. You have for the, a lot, a lot here, you know, one thing's happened, two things happened. So these things are, are in some way forgivable and that this is one of those things that until it happens, you know, five or six times that, okay, this is the reality that I'm in. How did I I get here? Why does this keep happening? So just for those people listening, um, this is how these things begin. No one is, we're, we're trusting people and to, not trust, especially when they're feeding into your specific um, boundary issues. It's it's murky is the best way I'm putting it as far as like if people question decision making. It's not as easy as it sounds to just say, hey, I'm not doing this. Like this is over. Well, I think it's important. And I think it's also important to know that these times of so ev- after every disappearance, there's always back to love bombing. And so you start to really get addicted to that and reliant upon that. And you know, it's coming. And so you're constantly waiting for it. You know, you have this great thing because when the love bombing happens, it is great. It is the most amazing experience of your life. And so you are waiting for it and you understand that it is coming back. And so you're kind of willing to attach and truck through the bad to get to that point because you know, it's there. So you are in this push-pull relationship of being given and then having it just taken away. So you are in the middle of an addiction and he know your addiction, he's giving you your heroin and then he's pulling away your heroin and you are just in the throes of it. And all of your decisions now, decisions now are based upon the throes of this addiction. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, So now things really start uh, progressing pretty quickly, uh, which was kind of odd to me because he really sort of 
made it clear he didn't want to get married again. He didn't really want, you know, any kind of really serious uh, relationship like that. And uh, I had never talked about a very serious relationship. And so he is, um, he's now moved out of his house or so he says. And so he asks me um, if I will meet his mother. So his mother is coming to visit. And, um, he's, he's sort of going through these, these hard situations where he's, he's stressed out. He's got a lot of anxiety. He's depressed and he's not really giving me too much insight to that other than it's, it's happening to him. And that's the reasoning for his disappearances sometimes. And that's the reasoning for his wishy-washy moods. And, um, so anyway, he now has moved on to a different flip house. Okay. And so he says to me, my mother can't see me living like this. She can't see me living like this. Um, and so he comes to stay with me temporarily for a couple of weeks prior to this. And so then as it gets closer to his mother coming, he decides that's not appropriate because she's super, super Christian woman. He doesn't want her to know he's staying in the house with me because we're not married. And so I go over to this flip house, which is like bare bones. And I, um, I think I spent about $5,400 and I put little blow up beds in there. I bought bedding and towels and toiletries and two chairs and a coffee maker and a TV and a mini fridge. And I made it livable. And, um, so he's so thankful for that. And so his mother comes to town and I meet her. And she says, you know, I'm just so thankful to meet you. And my son is so blessed to have you. And um, here is my information. Please keep in contact with me. And um, while she's here, uh, my ex has a complete breakdown. So he says, I can't do this. It's wrong. I can't be dating her and seeing my wife still. Um you know, it's ready. It's time. It's ready for me to move forward and push forward and finally get the divorce because, you know, we're not living together, but it, it's just time. And, um, and then he goes dark for three or four days while his mother's here. And so I, I sort of give him space for that because I think, well, his mother's here. He's going through a lot of things. Um, so side note, you know, while his mother is here, I don't find this out until way later. Uh, his wife was coming over there and they were going to church together and they were going to dinner together and they were portraying this very happy family with his mother. Um, now keep in mind, she has met me and she is under the impression we are dating. Um, and so his mother goes back home. And he comes back to stay with me and he pretty much moves in with me now and is, is, uh, coming home basically. And, uh, so I start talking to him about the flip house and I'm like, you know, are you going to get it on the market? You're going to get it sold. And he's like, Oh, you know, yeah, it's got a lot of work. We're just, we're just going to let it roll. Um, and so I have one question. How does your daughter, uh, feel about him? Or your children? He was super great with her. She really, really uh, enjoyed spending time with him. She laughed with him a lot. She was very comfortable with him. He, you know, goes out of his way to just be super nice to her. 
he's not really in a setting alone with her ever. Um, but you know, just his interaction with her was really good. And she really, really liked him Mm -hmm. at the time. So now he's moved in and you want to flip the house, the flip house you want to flip. I want to get rid of the flip house. Yeah. Because, um, I think it's important for us moving forward. This is a house that the flipping company was with his ex-wife. And I just thought it was a good um, start to the divorce proceedings. And um, so he says, well, you know, we're just going to leave it. And, you know, actually my daughter has asked to move in there. And I'm like, uh, okay, are you're not going to let her move in, right? Because you're, you're going to sell it. He's like, no, 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 she's not living there. You know, she's irresponsible and I don't, I don't want her living there. You know, we're, we're definitely going to sell it. And I'm like, okay. And that's kind of all we talked about that. Well, next thing you know, um, he takes off again and now he's living with me. And so now he hasn't come home. Can't find him. I have no idea where he is. He's turned off location services on his phone, so we can no longer see him through Snap Maps. And uh, when he resurfaces this time, he, again, is apologetic. And he tells me he is going through something terrible. He, um, He had this really horrifying thing happen to him in his past, and he's just now dealing with it. And, and this is the cause, right, for all of these these issues. And so again, I am shocked. And when I hear this story, I am like, this is terrible. It's terrible. This is a terrible thing that has happened to you. I cannot, what can I do for you? Like, let me, let me get you through this. And he's like, you know what I really want to do? I just want to go visit my family. And so he invites me to go to visit his family in Texas, his entire family. Like cousins, aunts, uncles, grandma, all of them. And we go there and we visit. His brother was there uh, from Chicago. And uh, we, I met them all. And they seemed really supportive and really excited and really just um, great about me in general. There was no hint that um, something was wrong. (laughs) There just wasn't. We come home from this trip and I start saying to him, I am, uh, I'm concerned about the divorce. Like I, you know, what, what is going on here? And so he provides me these separation papers, these legal separation papers. And, uh, they're signed by both parties, everything, you know, totally legit. And he's like, we are really, truly separated. You know, I just... It's going to take time to close the business down. It's going to take time to sell the house. It's going to take time for this. And I'm like, okay, once I saw those papers, I felt so much better. I thought it was fantastic. And um, next thing you know, he calls me. He has this huge breakdown. I need I need for you to understand what is actually going on. <laughs> and he has me go to the flip house. Um When I walk into that flip house, I walk in, it is fully furnished. Uh, His daughter was living there. This is the first time I've ever laid eyes on her. And he leaves me there with her. And he says, I just need you to talk to her 
uh, for me because I'm just going through something really terrible. And I said, okay, okay, let me, let me just sit down and try to talk to her, talk her through everything that's happening with you. And, um, you know, she's not handling divorce well. She's not doing well with this. This, this girl is, is 26 years old. And so I go in the house and she's kind of aggressive at first, honestly, you know, I probably would be too having, you know, meeting, uh, her dad's girlfriend for the first time. And she lays out this story. Of course, I'm totally shocked. Okay. I had no idea she was living in this house. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. It was confusing. Like, I'm sure it sounds confusing to you. I had, this came out of nowhere. Oh no, I'm sure he's got multiple lives going on here. So for everyone here in this story, for her, of course, she's going to be standoffish to you. For you, you've been believing whatever lies he's been saying. So you have no idea what's going on on that side of the fence. Who knows if there's a third side of a fence that no one even knows about. I don't even know yet, but um, you two are about to find out about your lives. Correct. Um, so she says to me, um, tell me what is going on. And so I lay it out for her, you know, I'm like, well, you know, your dad and I have been seeing each other for a set amount of time. And, and she's like, wait, what? And I'm like, um, yeah, like I (laughs) thought you knew that, You, you know, did you not? And she's like, my dad is still married to my mom. And I'm like, yeah, they are, they're separated. And she's like, what? I I had no idea. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You didn't know? And she's like, how could I know? I see him every day. They are hugging each other and kissing each other every day. Like, where in that says they're getting a divorce? And I'm like, okay, wait, can you just back up for a second? And so I, I was genuinely shaking at this point. And I sit down on the chair and she looks at me. Um, and I think that was a, that was a turning point for the two of us. And she's like, okay, I can see that you have no idea what's going on here. She's like, I don't even know how to deal with this right now. Uh, let's just get through it. And I'm like, okay. And so we talk for probably an hour or two. She basically tells me that, um, she told, or he told his daughter, he was living at a friend's house. Um, and, but her mother comes over to where she was staying, which would be the flip house daily. And her father also visits, uh, her mother daily. And they were going out to eat every day for lunch. Uh, they were going and, and doing things together. You know, all of the little disappearing stages, they had gone on vacation together and, um, they were trying to work all of it out. And so, Long story short here, I leave this house and I don't know what to say. And I am just trying very hard to take it all in and to understand what is happening. And um, so he comes and he talks to me about it. And he says, you know what? He says, I am manipulating her. And I'm like, what? And he's like, well, I, I provided you the paperwork. You see that we're getting separated. She knows we're getting separated. I'm manipulating her. I'm trying to keep her from trying to take my retirement. And I'm trying to keep her from taking, um, you know, everything that I have. And I'm like, okay, 
but you guys are separated. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, and, and my daughter, she's just over exaggerating. We don't see each other every day. You know, we've been, um, meeting to like have things signed and closing out documents. And he's like, I'll, I'll forward all of it to you, you know, via email, I'll show you proof of all of that. And, and so it was explained away truly, like it, it sounded really good. It really did. And he's like, you know, I, I come home to you every night. Like, would my wife allow that? Would, would that be an allowed thing? There would be some definite, you know, issues there that it can't possibly be the case. And so I'm like, okay, fine. You know, we're, we're fine. We're good. And so <clears throat> lots and lots of things like this. I mean, I could probably talk to you for 10 hours about all of the things that happened. Um, but let's fast forward just a little bit. So we're now in the following year. And, and so this has happened. I, I can't tell you how many times. Every, every probably four or five weeks this is happening where the disappearing um, and then the coming back, the great explanation, the love bombing. Um, staying with me all this time. He takes us on a trip to Baltimore. He takes us on a trip to Disneyland. He um, is very present. Like, it seems like he's very present when he's there. Um, I will say one odd thing. So I have a niece. Uh, she and I, our relationship has been very affected by all of this. She has met him multiple times. Uh, they got along pretty well. And she would come to visit me fairly often. Two of those times were holidays. Every holiday, every important day, uh, so my birthday, you know, Valentine's Day, any holiday, he would disappear without question. I mean, there was, there was no, I have to do this or I have to do that. It was just gone, gone. And I didn't, I didn't put that together until the very end. I didn't understand. Um, so, you know, she was there multiple times when he would just not be there. Like, where are you? All of your stuff is here. I don't, I don't understand. But then there was always an explanation. <laughs> um, so just lots of things like that during that period of time. Um, he would say things, he started saying odd things to me. He started saying things like, um, I really miss intelligent people. I really miss having conversations with intelligent people. Um, he would say, you know, I would, when he would do something and I would be crying, you know, um, when he would come back and I would just be in tears, you know, I'm devastated. And he, I would say, can you just, just hold me, right? Who asks their significant other? Just, just hold me. That's sad in itself. And he would look at me and say, if I thought that's what you really needed, I would do it. And so there was this different kind of side to him. It was like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of uh, experience coming out. Um, he would talk in circles to me. So we, I would bring up something and we would start talking about it. And then pretty soon, like we're three quarters of the way through the conversation and we're not talking about anything that we had originally started talking about. In fact, the focus is now on something that I did. And I'm confused. I'm like con lost in the conversation. I didn't know where to go with that. Um, he would say things like, oh, don't fight with me today. I can't do this today, you know. And plus, if you do that, you know, you're not going to get what I got you. I have a surprise coming for you. Um, 
I would never see anything out of the norm. Um, just, just really, really bizarre stuff. So let's fast forward to almost the end of our dating. So we are, uh, dating pretty steadily now for quite a long time. And so he wants to go to Texas. They do their family thing every third year. I think they, they do a big thing in Texas. And so he wants to go. And um, he asked me to go and he, he says, I think it's important for you and, and your daughter to come and, and let's go and do this as a family. And so I'm like, okay, um, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And so um, this is like maybe September of that year. He starts saying these things to me. And so I actually, um, he takes off on me one more time in September and we had had this, this giant Disney trip planned, uh, for October. And, um, so he takes off a couple weeks before this Disney trip, which wasn't really shocking. Anytime I made a plan, anytime, um, like I said, it was important. He would, he would disappear. And so this was a trip that I had planned. I had paid for, and he, um, he, he takes off and disappears. And so I asked a really good friend of mine to go. I waited it out for two or three weeks, I think, and don't hear anything from him. And so I asked my friend to go and, um, he says, yeah, yeah, I'll go. And he's known him for a really long time. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I can recoup some of this money. Well, for whatever reason, my ex gets wind of this and, um, magically two nights, or no, three nights before we were supposed to leave, he reaches out to me and he's like, I miss you. And, and I'm so sorry. And, um, I said, what, what's going on? Like, what, what is happening? And he's like, I'm just, a, I'm just a terrible person. And I just feel so terrible about the things that I'm putting you through. And, and, you know, it's just not good for you anymore. And I, I just want to do the right thing. And I want to be a good person. And I'm like, well, come home and be a good person. Stop taking off. Like what? I don't get it. And he's like, it's okay. He's like, I have something really important that I want to talk to you about at the end of the week. I have something really important to show you. And I'm like, okay, all right, cool. And so I think I forgot to say this, but divorce proceedings are scheduled now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have a divorce date for uh, January. And so it's, it's like ready to go Everything is proceeding very well. So these things are set in motion and you're now in the belief of once divorce happens, these disappearances will not happen like they are happening because the person he's disappearing to will officially now be out of the picture. So the focus will be 100% on me and we're going to live happily ever after like I want to and kind of what's being promised and all we have to do is get through this date. And that's what's carrying you on here is that dangling carrot. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I don't think I knew he was going back to her when he would disappear. He always gave me some place where he was like, he had to just get away. You know, I think, I think maybe I would have felt differently if I thought he was going back to her. Um, but I didn't think that. I don't know why I didn't think that. Um, 
So he, we go through this week and, and of course I'm getting the text messages and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stay, I'm staying over here at the flip house and, and I'm just going to stay here until we work through this, you know, but I'll, I'll see you Thursday. I'll see you Thursday. And we were supposed to leave Friday to go to this Disney trip. And so he shows up Thursday and he proposes to me and I am like, what is going on? Like, I'm shocked. Not to mention like, it's this big ginormous ring. Okay, it looked like a ring pop. And so he's like, I said, what are you doing? Are you, you're asking me to marry you? Is that what's going on? Because it, it came out very jumbled. It was, <laughs> I, I, I still to this day don't understand quite what happened. And he's like, I'm, I'm trying to ask you to spend the rest of your life with me. And you're, you're like ripping it apart. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to rip it apart. I'm confused. I'm just asking for you to be clear. Like what? what's happening? And so he says, I, you know, I want to marry you. I want to marry you. I just want to get divorced. Think of this as kind of like a pre engagement. You know, I, I just, I just want to be with you. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, are you going to come home? Are you coming home? And he's like, yeah, I'm coming home. He had changed his address. Okay. All of his mail was coming to the house. So he says, I want to come home. And he's like, I got to go out of town this weekend. Um, I'm actually going to leave Friday and I'm going to go see my friends up in DC. Uh, it's somebody's retirement and it's really important for me to be there, you know, but, but I'll come back on Sunday and I'll be at the house and I'll just house sit while you're gone and you have a super good time. And I'm like, okay, fine. This is great. I said, please call me. Let me know you get there. Please just check in with me. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. He called me multiple times on that little weekend trip. He texted me multiple times. He sent me pictures. Um, of what he was doing. I find out way, way after we're married, um, he took his ex-wife up there and he spent the weekend with her and they slept together um, and they enjoyed the weekend together. Um, He proposed to me and took his wife on vacation, not even 24 hours later. Um, and, And that's hard to swallow. That's, that's very hard to understand. Um, and so when he came back, I, of course, didn't know that at the time. And he came back and everything's great. And so we go to this trip to Texas for Christmas. And I remember um, feeling so alone and so scared while we were there. So I had already been there. My daughter had not. Um, he acted very differently while we were there. He was very um, distant to me, very mean to me. Uh, we had a conversation outside where he just got totally pissed and threw hot coffee at me. Um, I saw a different side to him, and I cried a lot, and it, it angered him when I would cry. It would just anger him so badly. He couldn't He couldn't take it. Um, that would make everything worse, and so I would get in trouble for that. And then, you know, usually when we would have conversations where I would ask him what's going on and, and that kind of thing, that would anger him. That would make me cry. That would anger him more. And pretty soon I was apologizing to him because what would happen is then I would get the cold shoulder. I would know that he's taking off on me. Um, and so I was trained very well to apologize for him to him. And, um, that trip was just hard. It was very, very hard. His family was all acting um, very strange to me. 
um, come to find out, so his wife had been calling there the entire time that we were there. They were all sending his wife pictures of everything that was going on, pictures of me. And so I hope what you're getting out of this is that his family enabled this and his family played along with this. And I became very close with his family and I talked to them every day. And, um, you know, they sent pictures and we went on vacations with parts of his family. And they allowed for this to happen and they allowed for this to happen to my child. Um, they would pray for me. They would uh, send me scripture. Um, you know, they would visit. It, it, it's very uh, disgusting, honestly, the things that, that happened. Um, on all the disappearing times, they would call and ask me to take him back. Um, they were just very, what seemed to be supportive of our relationship, but then on the side supported with his relationship with his wife. Um, he and I started going to counseling off and on multiple times. He was also going to counseling with his wife. I found out. I didn't find that out until after we were already married. Um, so he was seeing counseling two, with two, two different relationships. Um, next thing you know, he's showing us a house. He, he calls me and says, I want you to come see this house. There was a real estate agent that, and he worked with real estate agents a lot being in the business season. And so I go and look at this house and he says, I'm going to buy us this house. Okay. This was a almost $600,000 home. And, um, I'm going to buy us this house and we're going to start fresh. Everything's going to be great. And his real estate agent's there and she was super nice to me. I remember it was chilly that day. She gave me her jacket, which is super nice. The two of them were there when I arrived. Um, and so he says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to buy this house. He's going through the process of that or so I think. And I'm like, I don't want to move. Like, I, I'm happy where I am. Like, I don't I don't want to move, you know. But, okay, buy the house. It's great. It'll give you a place to stay. If we actually do get married, it'll be good, you know. And so he's, I'm going through the process of buying this house. I'm going through the process of buying this house. So as I see the interaction between he and his real estate agent, I had some questions for him. And I'm like, you guys seem very close. Like, what, you know, is there something going on there? And he's like, are you asking me if I'm having an affair with this woman? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm asking you that. And he's like, oh, I just can't believe you. I mean, she's disgusting. She's absolutely disgusting. I would never, ever have anything to do with that. And I'm like, okay, well, <clears throat> maybe the next day or the day after me questioning him on this, he um, disappears again, shocking. So we're into January at this point and I couldn't find him and I was concerned about him. I really, really was. And so his iPad was sitting there and I pulled up his iPad and I'm like, find my iPhone right on, on this iPad. And so as I turned the iPad on, cause it had been off, here comes all of these messages into his messenger screen. And, um, he had been having this, um, very disgusting, uh, what I would say, very disgusting relationship with this woman, this real estate agent. Um, very vulgar, detailed text messages about sex, about oral sex, about when they were going to meet, um, about just anything and everything that you could possibly think of that would make you blush. It, it was there. 
And so basically I find him and um, he is, he's pretty much ignoring me. And so I pull up in front of his flip house, which is where he was. And I basically said to him, I said, you can come out here right now, or I can drive through your garage. Like I'm prepared to do that. You come out here right now. And so he comes outside and I, I said to him, I said, um, you're not welcome in my home anymore. You're, you're, you're not welcome in my home and I don't want to see you again. And this is repulsive and I will drop your things off and don't worry. I won't do anything bad to them. I, I will drop your things off. I don't want you to be here when I drop them off. Um, but I don't want to see you anymore. And I left and I didn't talk to him for quite a while. And so the best part about it is I have his iPad still in the car with me. and um, cause I, my intent was to give it to him and he backed up away from the vehicle when I started talking to him. And so I, I set the iPad down on the, the chair and um, he immediately is texting her and says, she saw the messages and um, <laughs> she says, um, <clears throat> we can have each other. Cause I made that comment. I said, you can have her. Like, I will never, ever fight for your affection. If you don't want me and solely me, be on your way. And they're texting back and forth, like, as if he hasn't skipped a beat. Like, this did not affect him whatsoever. He did not care. None of it. It didn't matter. So I packed up all of his things and I dropped him off. And um, maybe a couple of weeks goes by. And now, now we're, we're at the divorce day. Right. And so he, so between now and the divorce day, you haven't spoken to him. No, I haven't spoken to him. And so he reaches out to me a couple days before divorce day. And he's like, I miss you so much. And I'm so sorry. And this divorce is going to fix everything. And I just want to know, you know, can we try this again after I get the divorce? And I said, all right, you know what you, that's fine. You get the divorce. I said, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. You know, I'm going to want a lot of answers. I'm going to want to know what is going on here. And, um, so he, uh, he texts me the morning of the divorce. He shows me the court docket. He shows me his feet at the courthouse. He's like, I'm waiting outside with my lawyer. You know, I got to leave my phone in the car. I'm so nervous. I'm so, so distraught. And I'm trying to be there for him as usual. And, um, I don't hear from him. I don't hear from him for the rest of the day. I can't figure out what's going on. And finally about 10 o'clock that night, he calls and he's crying. And, um, he says, I, I didn't get the divorce. And I said, well, what happened? Oh, well, she made a big fuss out of it. And she said that she was going to call you in as a witness and, and get me for adultery. And so, um, I, I put it off. I put it off and I'm like, okay, we're done. I am now well aware that you are not divorced. I am well aware that something is going on that I don't understand. I'm well aware that you're having a relationship with this woman. And later on, I didn't know it. Then I find out that he's having relationships with multiple women. Um, I said, I'm done. I, you know, I'm not a homewrecker. I'm not this person. You're making me this person. You didn't give me a choice. But now that I know we're, we're finished, we're done. And that was it. And um, of course he comes back <laughs> after he's gotten his divorce. So how, how long later does the divorce occur? April. So about uh, January, February, March, April. So three, three months. Yeah. Okay. He resurfaces. He comes back with the divorce papers. He is apologetic as usual. And um, I end up letting him come back. 
I do. And so uh, what? So at this point, you've gone through this multiple times, mm-hmm. multiple times, multiple, and mm-hmm. you let him back this time. What is going through your head when you when you let him back this time? And what was the big drive? Was the divorce the thing? Were you were you were you will, willing to overlook the whole real estate agent aspect of everything? Who knows what else? Because he's now officially divorced, so I'm going to be with him finally. And things will be normal at that this point. Did you think things would be normal, or I guess kind of what was your thought process at this time? Because he's you're obviously not the same person you were when you started, and right. you know your thought process is not working in the same way as it was from day one. You're addicted to him in a way you probably have never been addicted to anything and you're having a very difficult time staying away. So are you having conversations with other people? Are you um, afraid to because of what's kind of transpired already of letting people now know what's going on? Have you isolated yourself in a lot of ways? And how are you kind of dealing with other people in your life at this point? Are people happy for you or are they like, what are you doing? So I would say a mix of a lot of those things. I talked to a small handful of people, not so much uh, parents or anything like that. My brother was a huge um, savior for me in all of this. He knew everything. I, t- I called him all the time. I would call him crying and just, and he would just talk me through it. And he's like, if this is what you want, you know, I just, I just want to be able to support that. And, you know, it'll be okay. And, you know, but he would say things like this guy's a douche, like, what are you doing? You know, but then I would be adamant about, I miss him and I love him and I know he's a good person. And, you know, and so he would say, all right, all right, let, let's talk through it. I mean, and I, man, that poor kid probably needs therapy because of me. You know, he just, he talked me through a lot of it. And I, I also had, um, another friend I talked to a whole lot. Um, I, what I was going through constantly, I was so sad on the times when I was not with him and it was overwhelming and it was taking me over. It was, it was changing me. It was making me become a completely different person. I was just depressed and I felt like I was missing a piece of me and the only way to get it back was to just have him back. And, and so I would forget you know, all of the bad things I would just forget. I would, I would let them go and it would be okay. And so I think when he came back with these divorce papers, a couple things were going through my head. Okay. He's definitely divorced and he's made the effort to do that. And so that must mean that he is ready to move forward. The second thing I I definitely asked myself multiple times and thought was if he keeps coming back to you, obviously he loves you because he always comes back. Why would he waste his time? And um, then I thought I was really hard on him probably through uh, these past couple years and very judgmental. Um, You know, maybe I was just too hard on him and it was too much pressure because he would say that to me all the time. You're too hard on me. You're too hard on me. You're, you're asking me questions and you're, 
you know, and so I, this is my fault. You know, I pushed him away. I made him um, crazy. I made him act like this and I, I wasn't supportive and I wasn't loving. And what is wrong with me for, for treating him like that? Um, everybody deserves another chance. You know, maybe he's truly a changed person. And I think the friends that I did talk to, they were going to support me no matter what I wanted. Um, they were just there to want me to be happy. And they would say that to me. We just want you to be happy. We just want you to be happy. Um, and to give the analogy for everyone, which is the heroin analogy, you know, heroin addicts know at a certain point that the heroin is bad for them. Mm-hmm. And when they are withdrawing, the the only thing that in their mind, because the pain is so much in the withdrawal, the only thing that can fix it is the heroin itself, even though it's the thing that's slowly killing you. And for you, this is the exact same thing. In that separation, you were in a depression and in despair. And the mm-hmm. only thing that could fix that was him, even though he's the thing that's causing the depression and the despair. And it becomes a cycle that just continues and continues. And you, like many people listening, were going through that. And it's one of multiple things you were going through. And, you know, this got you back into the relationship with him. And now you're married to him. And now you're married to him. Another set of problems begins. That's correct. So we got married. Um, he proposes in May. We get married in August. And during that time period, everything was great. Uh, everybody says, why did you marry him? The, he was great from May to August. Everything was great. I thought he had truly, truly changed. Before we get married, this is super, super important. Before we get married, a couple of, maybe like a month and a half before we get married, he starts saying to me, I see that you are so stressed out with work, babe. You're so stressed out with work. And I, I just don't want to see you be so stressed out anymore. And I really just want to throw this out there. And I'm like, okay, what? And he's like, I think you should give up your company. And I want to take care of you. And I want to make this up to you. These past four years that have been so hard, I I want to make it up to you and I want to give back. And I want you to be able to be a mom and just be home with, with your daughter. And I don't want you to have to work anymore. You've worked so hard. And let me take care of you. And I'm like, um, Okay. Let me think on it. And he's like, okay, okay, but don't, don't think on it too long. And so I said, what is the plan with our home? He had purchased a new home. We had been house shopping and he had purchased a new home and it was beautiful and it was in the country and we were going to live this country lifestyle. Um, and it was everything I wanted. It was a fairy tale ending. And he said, well, let's sell the house. Let's sell the house because you know, we're not, we're not going to come back here. And I'm like, well, I, I kind of want to hang on to it. You know, this is the house my child grew up in. Let's rent it. Let's rent it. And so then he, I, I come back to him and I said, okay, I, um, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a couple of months. I'll give up my company and, and I'll let you take care of me and we'll see how it goes. I said, I don't think I'm going to take this too well, but we had, a, we had a lot of land. We had like four and a half acres that we were buying into. And so I said, well, you know, this will be good. I'll be able to do all the yard work. I'll take care of all of that. We had animals. We had purchased animals. And I will stay home and do that. 
And he's like, it's the perfect plan. It's the perfect plan. And he's like, but, but let's talk about it. So I really think the best way to go is just file bankruptcy. And I'm like, oh, what? Like, I don't want to file bankruptcy. That's, you know, I have great credit and I've worked so hard for all of these things. Like, I'll lose my home. And he's like, you don't need that home. I'm providing you with this wonderful life. Can you not be thankful for that? And I'm like, um, okay. Uh, he's like, just, just, just go and talk to a lawyer about it. So I did. I went and talked to a lawyer about it. And he said, really? He said, the only way to um, file business, because I said, you know, it was business bankruptcy that I was filing. And I, he said, the only way for, to really do that is to just file bankruptcy altogether because then the business would be um, taken out with, with the regular bankruptcy. And I was like, well, I'm, am I going to lose everything in this? And he's like, well, yeah, that's, that's what happens in a bankruptcy. And so I go home and I talk to him about this and I'm pretty much in tears. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is what he said. And he's like, this is great news. This is great news. I'm crying. He thinks this is the greatest news ever. And um, he says, you know, it's a clean slate for us. It's a clean slate. We're going to start fresh. We don't have to take care of any of this. We don't have to worry about any of this. Um, we're not going to have to worry about selling off all these things, paying off all these business debts. And it's just going to be so great. And he's like, but you have to do this before we get married because I don't, I don't want it to be on my credit. You know, one of us has to have good credit. And this sounds like the dumbest thing ever, but I am just like, okay, all right. Let's do it. You're right. I should be thankful to you for this life that you're providing uh, for myself and my child. Like, I think, I think it's a great idea. Let's do it. And I did. I handed him over everything in my life in that moment. And in a matter of 30 days, I had nothing. And I just want to point out to everyone about this bankruptcy is that once Kinsey files for bankruptcy here, that it would go to a trustee who would take care of all these things that she is talking about right here. And once it's in the hands of the trustee, it's not in her hands anymore. And then the trustee sends whatever is sold or whatever is left to a bank account. And the taxes for that also go to a specific bank account, except that bank account that it's going to isn't really uh, in the name of Kinsey. And Kinsey actually never sees anything from this situation and everything here is gone. And we got married. Uh, we moved into the house four days after we got married. He didn't help me pack one thing. He didn't help me close the business. Uh, when I cried, he told me I was being selfish because look at all the great things that were happening to me and for me. And how could I offend him by being sad for something that I was losing? We moved into the house and it was like I was living with a stranger. I didn't know him anymore. He was all of a sudden, so just he and I went out there for the first couple of weeks to get electrical done and that kind of thing. And he, um, he looked hollow. Like he, he looked like he had nothing in his eyes when I looked into them. Um, he started coming home immediately, smelling like another woman. He was very mean to me, very mean to me. Um, I made a comment one night about having a headache. And um, I said, he said, why don't you take some Tylenol? And I said, well, 
I, I don't want to take some Tylenol. I said, you know, I, I'm going to wait a little bit. I'll take some Tylenol before bed and, and maybe that'll help me sleep. And he said, do you know what else will help you sleep? And I said, what? And so I, I thought he was going to offer me some great words of wisdom. And he said, a bullet to your effing head. And I could say nothing to that. I, I, I stared at him like, I don't even know what to say about that. And so then he laughed and walked away. And I'm like, it scared me. And so as we're laying in bed later that night, I said, I just want to talk to you about this situation real quick. Downstairs, you made a comment. I said, I just want to let you know, like, it wasn't funny to me. And, and I am a little worried about the fact. And he just definitely sits up in bed and says, you used to have a sense of humor. I don't know who I married anymore. We've been married two weeks, like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, you know, you used to be this fun person and now all you do is bitch at me. That's it. And, and I just, I don't understand. And so I went to bed in tears most nights when I questioned him on the smelling like another woman, he told me he works around women all day and it's possible that one of them sprayed something while he was there. Um, how dare I ask him if there's another woman? He wouldn't have married me. Um, so all of a sudden, you are now in the home with him, and he's really turned the tables. He's not the same person at all he was before. You're questioning reality. You're questioning uh, what is real, what is not real. And the one thing that you did ask me to remind you about at this point of your story was about a phone call with his daughter. Okay. So what, is, what, what happened there? This is the perfect example of things that he did to me regularly. And this is, is, this is just one, um, but it'll show you the extreme measures I think that he took to uh, make me feel crazy. So I had often, I would often ask him, have you heard from your daughter today? Have you heard from your daughter? And my reasoning for that was I wanted to be involved, right? I wanted to, be able to talk to her, have a relationship with her, understand what was going on. And I had saw him um, that morning. We, we had a plan with our financial advisor and um, he was on the phone when he pulled up, we came in separate vehicles. And as we're in there talking to the financial advisor, of course, our daughters both came up. And um, so as we were leaving, I said, Hey, have you heard from her lately? You know? And he says, no, I haven't heard from her. And I'm like, okay. So we get home, he's actually doing some math work with my daughter and he um, brings his phone into me and says, Hey, can you just do some calculations for me real quick? And he has his call screen up and he has the exact phone call to his daughter square in the center of the phone. And so I see this at a glance. I see that he has spoken to her today. I don't say anything about it. I close it. I get into the calculator. We do some math. And um, he's watching me, like, very carefully at this point. And so I go upstairs to fold some laundry, and I hand him his phone back, and I'm sitting up there, and I'm, I'm sort of stewing at this point. So I come back downstairs, and I said, hey, could you just come upstairs and talk to me real quick? And he's like, sure. So he comes up, and I said, I just, I just want to ask you this. I said, you told me today you did not speak to your daughter. 
And when you handed me the phone, I saw that you did. How come you lied to me about it? And he's like, I didn't speak to her today. And I said, well, I, I, I saw the phone call on your phone. And he's like, no, you're just crazy. And you imagine these things all the time. Here is my phone. There is no phone call. And of course, the phone call is erased. It's not there. And so I'm thinking about it and I'm like, okay, maybe it wasn't there. And so we come downstairs and so we're making dinner and I'm like, you know what? I, I definitely saw that phone call. I definitely saw it. Did you erase it? And he's like, why would I do that? Can you just let it go? It's a phone call. And I'm like, mm, it's bothering me a lot. Something's wrong. Like I, I, you know, it's just bothering me. I just really want to talk about it. He's like, I'm not talking about this anymore. So we go to bed and we wake up the next morning and I'm making his coffee in the morning before work. And I said, can we just revisit this? This, I didn't sleep last night. And I'm just, I'm very confused. If you talk to her, it's fine. How come you didn't just tell me? Then how come you erased it out of your phone? Because I think that's what you did. And he's like, you know what? I did. And he is very, very angry. He is all the way down at the other end of the kitchen and he is screaming. And he's like, I did. He's, he's cussing at me. He's like, I erased the effing phone call. I knew you were going to snoop through my phone. I was trying to bust you being the psychotic person that you are and prove to you how psycho you are because you are just checking up on me. And I said, okay, so you erased the phone call. You, you wanted me to snoop through your phone, but I didn't actually snoop through your phone. And he's like, you, that's all you do is check up on me. All you do is check up on me. I just, I can't live like this anymore. And so, yeah, I erased the phone call and I wanted to see if you were going to bring it up to me. And I'm like, Okay, why would you do that? And so I burst into tears. And then he says, you know what? I didn't effing do that. I'm telling you what you want to hear right now. There was no phone call. This is how messed up you are. You're imagining things. You're getting me to tell you what I did, and I didn't actually do it. There was no phone call. I'm just saying all of that to appease you. And I said, so there wasn't a phone call. No, there wasn't a phone call. I didn't actually erase the message. I didn't actually talk to her. I'm telling you what you want to hear. By the time he walks out that door, I am like, I'm so confused. I have no idea what's happening right now. And so I call him on the way to work and I'm in tears. And I'm like, you have got me so messed up right now over the dumbest thing. Please talk to me and tell me what is happening. And so then he says, fine, I did talk to her. I didn't want you to know about it. I handed you the phone on purpose so you would see it. And I did erase that phone call. And I'm like, now we're back to, you did make the phone call. And I said, you know what? Okay. Thank you for being honest with me. And I hang up the phone. I, he confused me like four times with four different scenarios there. I really genuinely at the end of that had no idea what had happened. I didn't know if I was going crazy. I didn't know if there was even a real problem here. If I was blowing something up that shouldn't have ever even been an issue, I couldn't tell what it was. He would do that to me all the time. He would tell me I didn't remember things. He would tell me, um, maybe I should get on some medication. I just didn't seem right anymore. I'm getting paranoid. That was another one. You're so paranoid. I don't understand why you're so paranoid. I mean, you just constantly think that I'm, I'm up to no good. Uh, maybe you should seek some help. Can I get you a therapist? Let me get you a therapist. 
I really truly started to believe that I was the problem and I was insane. Um, I very, very much thought that. In this period of time, uh, he doesn't allow me to dye my hair anymore. Uh, I, we lived practically on a farm, so I never got dressed up. If I tried to put on makeup, he would tell me not to put makeup on because he didn't need that. He would tell me, uh, you are my kind of pretty. And because I would say, I feel so unattractive. It doesn't matter if you're unattractive. You are my kind of pretty. Um, I was very thin at the time. I lost another like 15 or 16 pounds. I stopped talking to my family. Uh, I stopped talking to my friends. I was ashamed. I was ashamed of getting duped like this. Um, and I had realized at this point that I had gotten myself into something that was quite possibly a dangerous situation. And I had just handed over my entire life to this man. When we got married, my name did not go on the house. It did not go on any bank accounts. It didn't go on any assets. I no longer had a vehicle. When he finally bought me a vehicle, I was not allowed to have a truck as I had been used to driving all these years. I didn't need a truck because he had one. And so he bought me the vehicle he wanted to buy me. When we went to test drive it, um, we got there. He said, you know, this is, this is the car I'm buying you. And I said, okay. And he's like, well, don't you want to drive it? And I said, well, do I need to drive it? You're buying it, right? He slams the door. He says, you know what? F it. You don't even need an effing car. You're so ungrateful for everything. I am doing this for you. And here you are acting like this. So I got in the car. I drove it around the block. We bought the vehicle. I don't think he spoke to me for two days after that. Um, I, during this time, I find that I am staring in the mirror a lot. I'm looking in windows a lot. I, um, and he keeps saying to me, you're always checking yourself out. You're always checking yourself out. And I, you know, I'm like, I, I don't think I'm checking myself out. I was looking for myself. I was looking for myself in the mirror. I, when I looked in the mirror, I had no idea who I was anymore. I didn't know the answer to that. Um, I had forgotten what I liked and didn't like. He would tell me what I liked and didn't like. And it wasn't even in a super aggressive way. It was just suggestion. Um, you know, it was always if I thought that's what you liked or if I thought that's what you wanted, you know, I would make sure you had it. Um, so I, I questioned what I needed, what I wanted, what I, you know, anything. I questioned it. I asked him for permission for everything. Um it became very intense. He kicked me out of the house uh, in January, no, February. Um, said he couldn't deal with it anymore. Said he's tired of the fighting. He's tired of the questions. Um, he genuinely said, if I think he's having all these affairs, he might as well have as many as he could. Um, since I already thought he was doing that. Uh, during our separation, we were separated uh, all of last year. He would reach out to me every couple of weeks, ask me to come out because he missed me and loved me. I would do yard work. I would clean the house. I would spend some time with him. He would have sex with me. And then when he got tired of me, he would kick me out during that period of time. And I will say the day he kicked me out, he reached out to his ex-wife. She was visiting him frequently uh, four to five days a week. He was also dating a woman with three small children. He was providing her $1,500 a month. 
He was whining and dining her, taking her on vacations. He bought a hot tub because she requested that he buy one. He was also seeing a 19-year-old that worked for a company uh, that did contracting work for his company. Uh, He was seeing two or three other women on a dating website. I showed up at the house one day and there was a woman sitting on my porch. He explained to me that she had been staying there with him and he was helping her. He was always helping, helping everybody that he possibly could. So as far as I could tell, there were seven women that I could count that he was seeing while he was separated, but still married to me and still trying to work things out with me on the weekend. Uh, He was very, very mean in between those times. Um, So the discard phases that I went through with him every couple of weeks were horrible. I was severely depressed. I went and got, um, they diagnosed me with CPTSD because I had constant nightmares of other women. Uh, I had constant nightmares of the life that I had before. I couldn't get out of bed. I didn't want to shower. Um, When I left, I think for the almost the last time, um, my good friend picked me up and, uh, we went to Seven Eleven, and, and this is where I knew something was very, very wrong. I got in Seven Eleven. I wasn't really allowed to eat candy with this man. He didn't want me to have candy. He said it was bad for me. And, um, I, I said to my friend, I said, I just want a piece of candy. Let's go to Seven Eleven. Like I'm going to get a piece of candy. And I go into Seven Eleven. And I must have been in there for 25 minutes. I got into 7-Eleven in the candy aisle. And I stood there and I did not know what I liked anymore. I didn't know. And all of a sudden, it started panicking me. And then all of a sudden, I was crying. And then all of a sudden, I was sitting on the floor of 7-Eleven crying over the fact that I had no idea what kind of candy I wanted anymore. Um, and that's when I knew it was really, really bad. Uh, when I came back... People were very um, worried, friends and family, they would say things, and and this is so not helpful, you know, and it's not their fault, it's not, but they would say things like, we don't even recognize you anymore, Um, what have you become, you're smarter than this, Um, you know, you were better than this, how could you have done this, how could you have handed over everything you worked for, um, just a very, very rock bottom time in my life. Extremely. Um, and he left me with nothing. Our separation agreement, we had revised three times. Um, and each time he would agree and then he would come back and say, Nope, I don't agree to this. You need to go back and change it. I paid for this by the way, even though I had no money and he, he gave me no access to money. I borrowed the money. Um, and I paid for it. So our agreement ended up being um, I got the car that he had purchased for me and that he would help pay for my daughter's school for the rest of that year. And um, he ended up giving me about $1,100 for the residual of that year, which was eight months. Um, And with that money, I basically just stayed with friends and used that money to, you know, buy food or whatever we needed. It definitely was not enough to provide a home for me. So it has been almost two years that I've had a solid place to live. I've been staying with friends. Um, and that, that's that. I uh, So 
truly, he stole your life. He stole my life. He, He stole your life monetarily where... Every, it, everything you built, he took away in a second. And once you were in that position where that was gone, the real work of stealing your sparkle, the essence of you, your soul, everything about you, he then went about to destroy you and steal. And he did a job where he did it. Well, he didn't kill it. I mean, you're still here and you're talking to me. So it's a testament to you, but you were, you were really close, you know, there at the end before you, you, you left that. I mean, not being able to get out of bed, sitting on the floor of Seven Eleven. you were not, yourself and i'm sure when you get to that point of depression and everything that were you having suicidal ideation thoughts or anything like that of, of like like where am I, I in this world i think it was getting close i definitely didn't feel like um i belonged anywhere anymore i i felt uh worthless you know and i i didn't understand what had happened to me i couldn't fathom why somebody would do this to somebody else um, this, this, is was, wh- this is why when people ask, what's this podcast about? And I say it's true crime. And, you know, what happened to you here is is a true crime. You know, r- right here with you, you know, all of this is emotional. And it's not something many people would consider to be a, tr- a crime in the true sense. But what it has done to you, what he did was, in if you really look at it, it's just utterly devastating to someone to do that. You're literally crushing their insides out. And to be able to pick yourself up after that happened where you are now, which is you're rebuilding yourself step by step and slowly to get yourself to be who you were before and not be, um, you know, not be affected by it or to have constant CPTSD symptoms pop up. It's not an easy thing. I'm really, from bottom of I'm really sorry uh, I think everyone is that like this happened to you and that, uh, you know, someone like this exists in the world and that you had to go through this because uh, it's, it's really terrible to the state where he got you. Cause when he got you, and I know I'm rambling everyone, but when he got you and he really had that moment where he took away your financial standing, it's the equivalent of like, okay, I have this person, I have my foot on their neck and now I'm just going to keep on pushing down on it. There was no mercy here at all in this person. None. And that is, I think that is what is truly disheartening, that there was zero mercy. And, you know, sometimes when you have someone who's down and out, you know, people are like, let them breathe. And this person was like the 
opposite and just was further. And you were close to not being able to breathe again, but you were able to get out of there. And thankfully you did. And, you know, we're all with you here to get you back where you need to be and be the support that, um, this show is all about. So, you know, from bottom of my heart, thank you, you know, for, for just sharing your story here. And thank you for having me. And I really just, I really just want to say, you know, to all the people that are listening to this and going through something, it's, you're not alone and you're not crazy. And I believe you and you're going to make it through. And, you know, before we actually, we're, we're not actually done. I kind of was premature on that too. But um, so as far as like your healing and everything, you know, obviously you found us and, you know, at a certain point you were, I, I don't know if you were going to therapy, if you could have, you could afford to go or how you did it. But when did you start to recognize a, what happened and get out of the fog of what happened and, and how did you do it? So I had been going to therapy, believe it or not, almost the whole time I was dating him. I have a, an amazing therapist, actually. Uh, she specializes in narcissistic behavior. And, um, you know, she would never say, don't do this, don't do that. You know, she was just there to to listen and, and be there for me. And um, so I, I, I knew towards the end, I knew everything I was going through, kind of. I didn't realize it was going to turn out like this, obviously, or I, I never would have done it. And I really had thought that he had changed. My healing during the year of separation, I started working on healing, even though I was still seeing him, even though I was still going out there. Um, I journaled a lot. I prayed a lot. I meditated a lot. I read a lot of books and I listened to a lot of things like this. And it truly, truly got me through. And every day was different for me. Some days something would work and, and then it wouldn't work the next day. Um, but I did the work. I did a lot, a lot of work, even while still continuing to go through it. And I don't actually think my true healing has come until very recently. Um, I am just very recently to the point of, I am done with this and I don't need it and I don't want anything from him and I will do this and I will be okay. I will start over and I will make it on my own and I will prove to myself, not anybody else, but myself that I'm still the person that I know I am. Um, am I changed forever from it? I think so. But I like to think that I kept all of the good parts. I like to think that I'm still a caring, nurturing loving person and that um, maybe just maybe this, me doing this is going to help that one person because I was that person and I needed to hear it. And so that's my real motivation for this today. Um, I've just been reaching out and trying to help as much as I can. And I think that's where my healing comes is from helping. I need to help somebody else get through this and I would do anything if I could stop just one person from having to deal with anything remotely close to this. And if you could share one piece or multiple pieces of, of wisdom or advice with everyone, what would you say? I would say, listen to your gut. It is our most natural, important defense mechanism. And it's always right. 
listen to your gut. Don't, don't dismiss it because it knows, it knows best. Um, I would say that's, that's a big piece of advice. And then I would say, um, if something seems to be what it looks like, it probably is, um, you know, stay strong and just, just don't, don't get so far into it because it truly is. It's an addiction. It's a chemical addiction that you can't get out of. Um, you know, so just, just listen to that gut and, and be your own best defense because nobody knows you like you do. And if, if you feel like there's something wrong, there is probably something wrong. Well, Kinsey, I really want to thank you for being here today. I know you're going to help a lot of people. You uh, let it all hang out there. You were vulnerable and it's going to help a lot of people when you're that vulnerable. They'll, you know, when it comes to, you know, shame being the biggest killer for everyone, the biggest thing that hurts, listening to other people just say everything and, you know, that in itself will help people feel less shame and that they know, you know, these are the reasons why these things happen. This is, you know, this happened and this happened and it hit here and you really, you know, let it uh, out there for everyone to to hear today. And that is going to help save uh, someone. And I know it's going to help save more than one person. I mean, you were were tremendous today. So thank you uh, so much for being here with me and sharing everything. Everyone is giving you the biggest hug right now. So thank you for everything. You're welcome. Thank you. And from myself and Kinsey, we hope you have a good night.